0: We're in a series right now called United We Stand. And this is a series that we're joining together with churches all over the Houston area that are talking about the same things, talking about race and reconciliation. And so you're joining with thousands of believers across the city of Houston right now that are doing the very same thing. So that's really, really cool that we get to collaborate with churches across our city. I was just curious. How many of you have ever taken an IQ test? Have y'all ever taken one before? Anybody in the room? I see one in the back, maybe a couple more, an IQ test. Yeah, so uh, I've never taken an IQ test, and the reason why, is I would be really nervous about the results, okay? Uh, I don't know if you ever felt that way. You're like, if it's one of those online ones and you're like, should I take it or will I be discouraged at the end? I don't know. And so um, I've never taken one before because I've always been worried that what if I'm not as smart as I think I am? I, I don't know if you ever have that, that, that worry or that fear, and I was thinking uh, about tests. Today, we're going to be in a, uh, a portion of Scripture, Luke chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Bible, if you want to start turning to Luke chapter 10, we're looking at a moment where an expert in the law gives Jesus a test. It says that he's going to test him, but Jesus is so masterful. And what he's going to do is he's going to flip it around, and he's actually going to turn it into a different kind of of test, you know that that uh, the word quotient, your intelligence quotient. That word quotient is uh, it means the amount of. It's like a, a numerical value that tells us the amount of something. And Jesus is going to be tested on his TQ, his theological quotient, by an expert in the law. But then. Oh, then, Jesus is going to do what Jesus always does, and he's going to actually get after a different type of quotient from this man. In the early days of our marriage, Casey and I, you know, we had to navigate all kinds of things as a couple. But one of the things that we had to navigate was blending our friend groups Okay, so if you're married, you probably know about this like in your singleness, you develop these great friendships, maybe you went to college and you had all these great friends there, or however you made friends and then when you start to like get you know you know really interested in somebody, you start dating, you get engaged, you get married it's like all of a sudden all those worlds kind of have to collide into one, and that can be hard to navigate and so I remember times where we would go out with Either my set of friends or her set of friends, and we would be, um, you know, there together in the same place, and uh, you know, one or the other one of us would be having the most, you know, fantastic time. Like I, I recall a moment, like you know, hanging out with our my side of the friends and getting back into the car, and I'm like, wow, that was so great. Like I'm beaming, I'm glowing. Like this was so much fun, and I look over at Casey. And I don't see the the same glow, okay? And see, at the very moment that one of us could be saying, wow, this was so much fun, at that same moment, the other one could be saying, wow, that, that was really awkward or that was hard. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. You see, here's the point. We can all be in the same place among the same people having two very different experiences, as we talk about racism, as we talk about racial reconciliation, one of the things that we have to navigate is we need to understand that though we may live in the same country, in the same city as other people, they may not have the same experience that we have. Now, in that moment with Casey and I, one of us could look at the other one and say like, what's wrong with you, right? That was so much fun. Like, what do you mean you didn't have a great time? What's wrong with you? And that, that response is lacking in what? Compassion. It's lacking in compassion. Today, the, the message that I want to bring to you is increasing your compassion quotient. Increasing your compassion quotient, your CQ. That's what Jesus is going to lead us into today as we look at the scriptures. And as we're going through this series, I just want you to know, I said this last week, but this is not a political series. I'm not trying to tell anybody how to vote on whatever or who to vote for or not to vote for, but I do want to equip us to think biblically, Because if we can really wrap our hearts and our minds around this, I believe that we can step into this issue of of racial reconciliation with wisdom and grace. And I absolutely believe that the world needs the church to step up in this issue, okay? The other thing that I'm not doing is I'm not wagging my finger saying, you're a racist. I'm not. Because I don't believe that's true. I believe that we live in such a diverse city in a diverse community that God's creating this diverse church among us that I just don't believe that you're a racist. Okay, I'm just going to say that up front. So that's not the point of what I'm saying. Rather, I want us to be equipped. How do we think biblically? How do we engage with wisdom and grace? So let's read this today. This is Luke chapter 10. This is, oh, this is, one of, this is one of my favorite, favorite stories in Scripture. Luke 10, verse 25. It says, did an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who had fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this exchange. We have an expert in the law. Your translation might even say he was a lawyer. This guy would have been uh, an expert in the Mosaic law or in the rabbinical law. And so Jesus poses a question, right? He, th- this man tests him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you're the expert, right? How do you understand the law? What is written? Of course, the man knows. He's quotes from the Shema. This would have been one of the daily prayers that all Jewish people prayed. This was commanded in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you want to go back and, and see where this happened, and, and Moses is teaching the people, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God, right, with heart, mind, soul, strength, with everything. Everything. But being an expert in the law, he knows there's more, there's more to this. He knows Leviticus 19, where it talks about loving your neighbor as yourself. It was a perfect theological answer. And Jesus is like, bingo, like way to go. Tell him what he's wanting, Bob. It's a new car, right? Jesus is saying yes, correct. Oh, and do this, and you will live. But then, the man has to ask one more question. You ever been there before? Like, you know, somebody just goes to the next level and you're like, it's like record scratch, freeze frame. Everyone's like, what'd you just say? He leans in a little bit more and he says, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? I can uh, feel the, the disciples like oh my gosh like maybe they're stepping back like what's what's gonna happen here jesus is gonna he's gonna he's gonna do something you see the jews were taught to love their neighbors but they were also taught to hate their enemies that was part of what they were taught all of them as they were growing up as young jewish boys and girls that's what they learned love your neighbor hate your enemy and so this man he's seeking to figure out who's not my neighbor. See, the first point that I think we need to understand is that we can have the right answers in the wrong heart. We can have the right answers, but we can have the wrong heart. This expert in the law, he has the correct theological answer, but clearly something is missing in his heart. Because what he's trying to do is find a way to excuse himself from loving a certain type of person. He wants to create a category of people that are non-neighbors. And so Jesus, he steps in and tells this story. Now, this is so important for us to hear as the church, and especially as we're talking about race and racial reconciliation. Because we can have all the right answers. Right? We have the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer, we can know all the right things about God and about salvation. We can understand redemption, and we know all about reconciliation. We know about lasting change and real unity, and we can have all the right answers, and yet when something happens on the national stage, it's like the people with the right answers can so quickly come up with the wrong attitudes, the wrong heart. And like the expert, we can come up with a way to limit our responsibility, to categorize certain people as not my neighbor. She's a Democrat, he's a Republican. They're like super into Black Lives Matter. They're not, they, they think it's totally like a, a, a scam or some terrible thing, right? It's, it's like we have all these divisions in that we can categorize people into not my neighbor. We can villainize one another. And now you can do this from the comfort of your home on your social media page. Isn't that great? <laughs> we can draw lines of division. This says not my neighbor. So Jesus seeing the opportunity, seeing the issue, he steps in and he tells a story about a man Going down the Jericho Road. Now you need to understand the Jericho Road was notoriously dangerous. Like everybody would know. Like when he said Jericho Road, everyone's like, oh. Yeah, I wouldn't go down that road. Like it's rough because that road was from uh Jerusalem down to Jericho and it was like this 3,000 foot drop all the way down this road and there's rocks like massive boulders along the road and it was perfect for robbers cuz they could literally hide behind boulders wait for somebody to come jump out and rob them. It was rough. And so you could even say like what a fool right why would you ever go down the jericho road like clearly this it's his fault because it was so notoriously dangerous and jesus he has three characters in the story right it's, it reminds me of the old jokes that, that you might have heard as like a, a a priest a levite and a Samaritan walk into a bar, right? It feels like one of those moments, and Jesus is building this end, and we have the priest and the Levite, and both of these guys served in temple worship, okay? These were people, of all the people that they would have known in their society, these would have been the most obliged to give mercy, to offer help to somebody. It would be like me, seeing you like bloody and beaten up on the side of the road, and it's like, he's a pastor, and I'm like, ooh, gosh, yeah, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. Like, it would have been shocking to them that the priest and the Levite would turn the other way. I mean, think of the excuses that they could have had. The priest and Levite could have thought, like, it's just too dangerous to stop. It could be a trap, like, I know what's going to happen, they make it look like he's beat up, and as soon as somebody helps, the robbers come out and they, like, take his money, like, this is a trap, or they thought, like, I've got to get to the temple to perform my service, or my wife has been on me about not spending enough time with the family, and so I've got to get back home, I can't get my clothes bloody if I'm going to be serving the temple today, And I don't even know first aid, so I didn't know what I would do. And I'm only one person, so what could I do? But I'll pray for him as I walk, and that's what I'm going to do. And he, he never even asked me for help anyways. There's all these excuses that would be plausible for a priest and a Levite to just walk by on the other side. But then Jesus introduces the third character, the Samaritan. And what you need to understand is that Jews and Samaritans despised each other religiously and racially. Jesus builds racial tension into the story to make a point. And see, this is so important for us that Jesus is instructing this expert in the law telling this story and he includes this man who would have had a racial, uh, like we don't, we don't touch those people. And he includes this one little detail. When he saw the man, he had compassion so the second thing I think we need to understand is that the difference between being religious and being righteous is compassion. That's what Jesus is saying. The difference between being religious and being righteous is compassion. The Samaritan, he's crossing the social, religious, and racial barriers to help somebody. It costs him personally says he used wine. Wine would have been like an antiseptic that cleanses. He uses oil. It soothes. It eases the pain of the wound. He uh, puts the man on his donkey. And so just imagine that. It's like, man, That's that was, I think it was like an 18-mile road. And so he's going to say, look, I'm just going to walk. This guy needs it more than I do. And he puts the man up on this donkey and walks the rest of the way. He Pays two to three weeks worth of living expenses for this guy. right? He, he shows compassion. Now that word compassion, it means to be moved with mercy. Moved. That's key. To be moved with mercy. It means to feel. Feel sympathy. Compassion is a feeling word, not just a doing word. And this is so important because Jesus is teaching an expert in the law about an issue of the heart. A man who knows the right theological answers, but he's not moved. He doesn't feel compassion for others. He's not revealing a lack of theology, but a lack of love. He's not talking about orthodoxy. He's talking about orthopraxy. And here's the thing. The commands could not create the heart response. That's the thing about law. It can tell you what to do, what not to do, but it can't move us to do it. A man who has the commands, but he lacks compassion. Now, I think this is so important for us, especially as we talk about racial reconciliation in the United States where we are, in our context, is that so often we, we can have almost like compassion fatigue. We, we see so many problems all the time. So many people are hurting. It's like every news story is like, ugh, ugh, ugh. We begin to lack compassion. We begin to not be moved. We we can know the right answers and yet lack the, the heart. It's important for us. The third thing is that compassion compels a better response. Compassion compels a better response. Now, notice The Samaritan doesn't open a hospital for people who've been wounded on the Jericho Road. He doesn't do a Kickstarter campaign and create a nonprofit for it. He doesn't start a Facebook group. He literally just meets the need in front of him. I think that's important for us that we need to understand that none of us can do everything to solve an issue as large as racism and racial reconciliation, which is 300 plus years of slavery and oppression and only about 100 or so years of actual like you know, freedoms, civil rights. And so not one of us can do everything to solve an issue like this, but everyone can do something. It's going to take a million tiny little acts of service by people motivated from compassion that will compel a better response. So if compassion is what Jesus is testing, if that's what he's getting at in the story, how are you doing with compassion? how are you doing with compassion as we think about race and racism and reconciliation in our nation? Well, I want to talk to us about how do we increase our compassion quotient. The first thing is this. We need to see through God's heart. Did you hear that? We need to see through God's heart. It tells us that he's saw the man, when he saw the man. Now, the other two saw the man, but they didn't see the man. This man saw with different eyes. Now, uh, I have a friend uh, growing up, he had, his family owned a ranch, and so we would go out to the ranch all the time. Almost every weekend, we'd go out and do some kind of something on the ranch, and he was so good at spotting things. I don't know if you are, you might be one of those kind of people. It's like, you can drive through a field, and you're like... Fox, rabbit, deer, armadillo. It's like you just see everything. And I'm like the city boy that's like, I, like, I, I don't see anything. Like, I'm, there's a deer out here. Like Show me where. And it takes me like five minutes. Like, it's like, right there, right there, right there. I'm like, I don't see it. Right there. Oh, OK. Like, it, it's like when, when your kids are trying to show you a constellation. You're like, I, I, I don't know what. I, I have no clue. It's like there's a way of seeing things And in the field, it's called soft eyes. Have y'all heard that before, soft eyes? That there's an ability to spot things because you learn how to look a certain way. It's like you adjust your eyes to see things. And when we look at this scenario, we see a Samaritan who saw it differently. You might say he had soft eyes. He could see with compassion. We need to see through God's heart. Jesus calls us to see people differently, not just categorizing them as a certain thing or stereotyping them in a certain way, but to see them as neighbors. I think it's especially important that we don't assume we know the whole story about somebody. Right? When we think about a person and you know, maybe they're, how they look or, or just the things they say, it's like you just begin to think, oh, I, I know, I, I know what's going on here. And we assume we understand the whole story. We need to see through God's heart. The second thing is we should step towards the need. The Samaritan went over to him. The priest and Levi, they're like, whoop, going around. But the Samaritan steps toward. Now, I think as we think about this particular issue of race and, re- and reconciliation, stepping toward for us is often not crafting a version of the story that enables us to disengage. Because that's so easy to do. It's so easy to flatten things down into very overly simplistic categories and excuse ourselves from having to be a part of the process of healing. We need to simply step toward the need. Thirdly, do what you can to help. Do what you can to help. The Samaritan just offered what he had, right? And I believe in this particular issue, listening can be one of the most powerful things that we do. So many people are angry and hurting because they feel like they've never been heard. Like nobody just listened without wanting to like thrust their argument in their their face. It's like they just needed someone to hear them. It can be a powerful, sacrificial act, but we need to do what we can to help. And lastly, you're not going to be able to do any of the things I just said unless you've experienced Jesus leaving heaven, crossing every line, every barrier, every division, leaving the throne room of God to come into a fallen planet to step over lines of sin and pain and anger and hurt and misunderstanding. You, you won't be able to do this unless you experience the wine of the shed blood of Jesus that cleanses or until you experience the oil of his spirit that heals. It's not until you experience Jesus literally Picking you up off a road beaten and half dead, or as Paul said, fully dead in our sins and trespasses. Putting you on his horse and walking the rest of the road for you. Not until you experience him paying for your wounds, bringing you back to life by his stripes, we are healed. John, the apostle, said it this way, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice of our sins. See, the message of the gospel is this, God has compassion on you. That when God looked across humanity and he saw you, he saw you with eyes of compassion. The work of the gospel is compassion in, compassion out. John, in 1 John chapter four, goes on to say, if anyone says I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother. God loves you not that you've loved him, he loved you first, and compassion came in, and then compassion goes out, and so my challenge for us today is that we would be people of compassion, that we would allow the the work of the gospel to work so deeply in us that as we see the wounds and hurts and struggles of those around us, that we would be moved by the heart of God with compassion for them. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.